Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. All praise be to Allah, the Lord of the Worlds. Over 100 episodes, almost 40 different ethnic backgrounds, living in almost 30 different countries. In just two seasons, the Niqabi Diaries podcast has brought you the stories of Muslim women across the globe. Women united in sisterhood by their commitment to the Deen of Islam. Welcome to season three of the Naqabi Diaries podcast, where, inshallah, we will continue to bring you the stories of the women behind the veil. The Naqabi Diaries, our experiences, our perspectives, our voices. I'm your host, Samar, and thank you for listening. Please don't forget to like, share and subscribe. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome to another episode of the Naqabi Diaries, season three. Today, inshallah, we have a sister with us. And I'm going to let her introduce herself for us, for the viewers, inshallah, or the listeners. Inshallah, sister. All right. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. I am the sister Nashita, or uh, many call me Nash or Nash, depending on your accent, whatsoever. Um, Alhamdulillah, I'm from Singapore. I am a family trauma coach, um, a coach for women who uh, who uh, underwent family trauma and is learning how to heal right now. And I coach a lot of mothers and uh, women who want to start their own family. Alhamdulillah, I've been with COP for a few years now. Actually, I've been um, wearing it since I was a teenager, but it stopped a while. And then I got to wear it again, Alhamdulillah. Okay, alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. Yeah. Um, Marshall, that's really good. And it's very interesting that you mentioned that you're a family trauma coach. So inshallah, um, I'll ask you a few questions about yeah. that later on in the interview, if you don't mind, inshallah, so we can get a little bit more information about that. Um, but could you just give Definitely. us a little bit about your Islamic background and how you got to be wearing the niqab? All right, sure. Um, I grew up in a Muslim home, alhamdulillah. So my parents have a religious background. They, they went on their own studies and they did teach us and they have, um, we have a prior, uh, we know about hijab, we know about naqab, we know about Islam. So we practice at home, we pray together, we fast, Ramadan, a lot of these things, uh, alhamdulillah, um, ever since we were little. So I observe um, my mother wearing the hijab so I think when we grow up, we I, I wanted to be like her. So I, I followed suit and it helped she had exposed us to uh, hijab, various types of hijab. And I started wearing niqab um, when I was a teenager. Okay. But I started to you know, question and yeah about my self-identity, like who am I? And I want to know more about Islam, right? And But the, the thing is, I didn't know about the niqab elsewhere. I only know it through a movie, um, an Indonesian movie okay. filmed in Egypt. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 of all places, yeah. Uh, I think during that time, I was really a teenager. I didn't know about such things. So I, I saw it through a movie because everyone was talking at that time. They, that movie was really um, famous. And I saw the sister, uh, the, that female lead in that movie, wearing the hijab and the niqab. And I was uh, intrigued by it. And I was like, oh, she's real modest in that movie. And then from then on, then I searched more about Islam, about the niqab. And I donned it in, uh, when I was maybe about 15, 16. The, the movie was about yeah, learning about, the, uh, learning about Islam and um, getting married and all sorts of things. <laughs> so I saw the sister, the main lead was wearing the niqab and hijab. I was like, so beautiful, mashallah. And I start to learn more about it 
Okay. Yeah. Let us talk for a while. Stop wearing it for a while. Okay, that's yeah. really interesting because it's, it's it's often we don't often see um, any films with the Nakabis or something like that. So it was an yeah. Indonesian movie filmed in Egypt. Yeah, that's right. Okay, that's, that's right. Okay. In Egypt, you remember yeah. the name? So yeah, it was beautiful. Oh yeah, it's called uh, Verses of Love, or in Malay, uh, it's called Ayat Ayat Cinta. It was from a book. Yeah, they, okay. they, it was a a famous. Uh, book that was published and then now they turn it into a movie and i know i'm not uh it's not the best way for you to learn islam yes definitely but uh at that time yeah at that time i just um i think everyone was talking about it my friends were talking about it so i just you know just check it out and oh that's, that's the first time i think that i saw about um women wearing the niqab yeah that was women wearing hijab so that one i already know but the the niqab it was so interesting and beautiful that i i I was seeing that. Oh, mashallah! I want to learn more about it. Okay, alhamdulillah. Yeah. So, so when yeah, so, so this was a movie. This is when you were still a teen, and then um, you decided mm -hmm. to start wearing the niqab. So, at that time, was it? Would you say that it was something easy for you to do? And how did you get access to your first niqab? Okay. Uh, so in Singapore, we are a secular country. So we, uh, alhamdulillah, we can practice our religion, but it's not as common for women donning the niqab outside right there are sisters wearing the niqab maybe going to the masjids and that's all but at that time i didn't um i think i have not met any other sisters wearing the niqab at the time when i went to the masjid so i didn't know back then about the niqab so yeah that was for me it was through the movie um it was i would say easy alhamdulillah easy in a sense that because i have another friend that also at the same time, saw the niqab and she wanted to try. So we we bought it from an Islamic store, mm -hmm. and then we just tried it on. But we um we tried it on when we were outside school. So because in, in Singapore we don't we're not allowed to wear hijab in secular schools, right. right? So outside um yeah outside when we go to the mosque or we just go to uh to the masjid we try donning the niqab. Yeah, I, I love it, mashallah, I love it. Uh, I think it gives me even it makes me uh, feel the modesty even more, and I, I love that it's being covered and that I'm not known to a lot of people through the niqab. So alhamdulillah, yeah. Okay, alhamdulillah. So you mentioned um, earlier you started wearing it when you was a teen, and then you stopped for a period of time, mm -hmm. and then you recently started again. Yeah, so right. what happened there? Yeah, during that period, um, I I realized that that people. Uh, because it's not really a uh, it's not really common the niqab so people get afraid uh, of the niqab and I think that uh, it's a lot of pressure I was told to remove it because a lot of people have been pressuring my family or a lot of questions and I was upset uh, that I couldn't continue wearing it and there was a lot a lot of pressure like uh, people talking to me asking me why do you want to do this why do you want to do that and you know when I first started wearing it it was out of Subhanallah, I just want to try it. I, I, I love the feeling of wearing it, mm -hmm. right? Like, because it helps me with my deen and uh, increase my taqwa and iman. But at the same time, the pressure from people was so, it was so, uh, was a lot, a lot of pressure. And I was a teen, that was about 15, 16. And I was the only one that did not, right? So I didn't really get much support, quite uh, lonely and alone in this journey was real because of the the pressure uh and then i started to don it after i got married again so alhamdulillah i think with marriage you're on you're with your husband and you're on your own so that's more of 
okay, I'm ready this time. I'm doing it. And I'm not, uh, I'm not going to care about what people think. I'm not going to care about the pressure. I know they'll come, but you know, Alhamdulillah, my husband supports as well. So it's, it's a different ball game altogether. Oh, so so yeah. Support this one. Yeah. Alhamdulillah. So that, that's really good Sorry? because a lot of sisters, yeah. they do mention that sometimes, you know, in their journey to wearing the naqab, their husbands haven't been so much in favor of it. They've been maybe a little bit hesitant and maybe not mm. wanting the wives to wear it. So they've had to convince him. So Alhamdulillah, that's good. You had that support. So um, would you say, um, you know, during yeah. your process and your journey of wearing the naqab, do you have many obstacles from your family? Apart from obviously, like you, you mentioned that some people was encouraging you, like saying that, you know, it's going to be difficult for you to keep wearing it. But were there, would you say like obstacles, were there anybody who was like, no, you shouldn't wear this or there was, you know, they just didn't want you to wear it at all? Yeah, um, I think uh, people will ask me, you know, sometimes when people are afraid to uh, approach me and ask me, people meaning uh, relatives, mm -hmm. they will ask my family instead, they'll ask my father, my mother, my sisters, and then and over time, they, they informed me that, you know, a lot of people have been asking, so like, what's your answer? And I'm tired of replying, kind of this. And I totally understand because I think it was not common to so people are just, you know, curious and they sometimes associate the naqab with, you know, extremist views as well, mm -hmm. right? They said that it is it's the other end of Islam, why you're practicing this and that. And uh, even if, you know, I didn't do anything and I'm just being my normal self, you know, doing good doing good to others, they still feel like it's extremist. And for me, it's weird. And at the point of time, it was the stress coming from, you know, people's pressure that I couldn't continue. And, you know, as a youth, he was really, at a time, um, validation and support from people around me is so important. So I think that was that was what broke me when people start asking me, why, why are you donning this? Like, I don't think you should be wearing this. You know, you're still in school and all of that. You're going to have identity crisis, a lot of, pressure and a lot of questions and eventually I give in yeah yeah subhanAllah so did you would you say that you experienced any abuse ever for wearing the naqab oh in fact no uh subhanAllah I've never once in my life wearing the naqab in this country that people uh, meaning like the public or you know anyone when I go outside to uh, buy things with uh, anyone uh, I've not experienced abuse alhamdulillah the only pressure that it came from yeah internal pressure as family and relatives like uh, um I did someone that mentioned that I looked like a ghost and there was someone close and I was so I wasn't upset about it, but I think my family was upset hearing that because yeah. they want to defend me, but they they just, yeah, it was an elder. It was an elder that mentioned. And um, I was, you know, I, I kind of expected it because I think uh, I knowing that elder, uh, she, she is someone who is not exposed to this. So yes, many people have different views about the, the, the Nepal. But over time, I think, yeah, again, give in to the pressure. But alhamdulillah, I've not faced a single uh, abuse in effect i feel even more respected like people see me and they, oh, they know that i exist yeah it's like uh it's beautiful i don't it's like i don't know how to mention this but it's i didn't expect i i thought i would uh receive like racial slurs or you know like oh you're a ninja or saying things like they associate with the nepal but rather than not people just saw me and then they just do their own things and I was that's I find that really beautiful that I'm, I'm like blended in this society alhamdulillah alhamdulillah that's yeah. good that's good alhamdulillah so um have you done any kind of traveling while wearing the naqab at all to other countries 
Oh yes, I I have been, uh, but I've been to Malaysia with the Nepal. Okay. Yeah, only Malaysia. Yeah, in fact, Malaysia is a Muslim country, so yes. no no worries at all. Yeah. Alhamdulillah. So that's all. Yeah, Alhamdulillah. Excellent, mashallah. And um, would you describe the niqab as being a barrier in any way? And if so, in which sense? Oh, in my opinion, it's not a barrier at all. Maybe when you first start wearing it, you realize that, okay, you just have to get used to uh, uh, different, you know, because when you're not wearing niqab, you're kind of exposed to air. So there's a lot of, uh, it's much easier, I guess. But once you wear the niqab, it's a bit, different in terms of you know um, going out to eat this kind of thing it's, it's something that uh, sisters will have to get used to but after a while when you really do it for the sake of Allah when you do it with the intentions of um, being more modest um, over time it, all the obstacles like will go away and you find that it's alhamdulillah you want to be protected and you want to wear the niqab uh, that's how I feel I has not been a barrier for me at all, so alhamdulillah, it, um, I, I, in fact, I feel like it, it, it gives me even more of a, more confidence with the, the niqab, like, it's so weird, I feel like when, you know, when I talk or go outside and I meet uh, people of different uh, religious backgrounds or race, and I talk to them, I talk as if, like, I'm not wearing the niqab, like, yeah. I'm just, like, not, yeah, like a normal person, and they see me that way, and I, I'm just, I forgot sometimes that I'm wearing the niqab, right, but I, how you see me talk to me like normal and I feel like there's not really an obstacle for me alhamdulillah there was no more any pressure because I know that you know once I got married um my husband is a support so if they have any issues they'll go to my husband but so far no one said anything so alhamdulillah everyone's just I, I, I guess they know that this is my stand and I want to wear the niqab since you know a few of them know that I don't it when I was in uh, when I was teenager so yeah. now that as an adult they see me wearing it even more so I think they realize that okay this is my yeah my stand so yes. this is me so alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. yeah that's great mashallah so um you know what about work and things like that you mentioned that you have your own business but have you done any kind mm -hmm. of work outside of that um wearing the niqab at all oh all right um I did work before uh, I had my child, my daughter, my, my daughter. So, uh, but but then I wasn't. I did not done the niqab yet. Okay. Yeah, it was only that I stopped working. Yeah, in like in schools and offices because uh, in Singapore you're not allowed to wear the niqab because it's not seen as a a part of the uniform or the culture. Yeah, it's it's a religious uh, standpoint. So. Uh, only then, when I exited the workforce in Singapore and started my own business, then I wear the niqab. So, alhamdulillah, there's been any uh, issues whatsoever. Okay, alhamdulillah. So, um, tell us a little bit about your business then, because it's very interesting um, that you, um, you know, said it's uh, you help people, you know, heal through family trauma and things like that, which I'm sure a lot of us have that. Um, what led you to, um, you know, start this kind of this, you know, as a business from this particular aspect, especially within the Muslim community? Yeah, alhamdulillah. Uh, thank you for the question because I really love that. Uh, I started with this business because I, when I was first became a mother, uh, a friend led me to, you know, about uh, terms like healing, reparenting, and all this um, 
uh, when you have your own family, you start to uh, think of new ways of living because you know when you come from your we call what we call origin family, meaning your parents and your siblings, uh, you do a, you do you live life a certain way. So now when you form a new nucleus of family, your own family, you have you you become the parent. Um, you start to realize that okay, there are certain things that. Uh, uh, my family did in the past that did not fit our values or our principles right now. Maybe um, you come from a family that does not uh, practice Islam mm-hmm. properly or they have no knowledge of it. And then now that you learn about your deen, you want to practice it and you realize that oh, routines and habits that are uh, that surround your, uh, your principles and your values. So that's what led me to go on in this journey. And I realized that over time, as we grow older, our parents also grow older. And, you know, we have issues that, uh, that arise that every phase in our life. And I start to, you know, a question and uh, um, ask, I find the answer, like why, you know, my parents uh, do things suddenly. Like yeah. Why I decide to change, like why and how they raise us certain way and, you know, I realized that, okay, I want to stop. Why, why do I feel a certain way when my parents talk about our family history and all of these things? Mm-hmm. So I realized that um, there are things that I've learned from my own upbringing that I want to improve on. And I feel that's what our parents feel as well. Like over the generations, we just want to improve what the previous generation did. We just want to, you know, there are certain things. Yeah, like if you, uh, um, a common one would be if you come from a, a poor background, your grandparents were poor and you really had a hard time um, with finance, finances, right? Our parents have think that, okay, now I don't want my kids to go through what I did. Yeah. So yeah, they work, they do things certain way to make sure that, yeah, our living standards are different. And then now, now it comes our time, uh, it's our own generation right now. So we reflect whether, okay, is this something that we want or is this something that is uh, affecting our child, our livelihood? So we change certain things. So I, I realized that a lot of people have trauma growing up because they talk, that, uh, they talk about how a lot of times they uh, have difficulty talking with their parents about certain subjects and they, there's some tension and conflicts within the families and they don't know that it's, that can arise from trauma is something new to a lot of people until it's mentioned and um and i in fact when i started a lot of sisters have come forward and talked to me about this and a lot of muslim sisters actually in fact they didn't know that there's such things exist because we know that theoretically we have to you know honor our parents and treat them with excellence but what uh, what about those family where you know the kids uh, want to do that but they have difficulty communicating with the parents what if they have parents that you know cannot understand their point of view what do you have what if they have parents that want to you know control their way of living or control their decisions mm-hmm. how how do they go about that so that's what my main uh job is my my that's what my uh life passion is about alhamdulillah Mashallah, Barakallah, really interesting so um would you for example um yeah. give um do you give kind of like tips or advice on you know like you mentioned um just now that there's certain parents that it's hard to even communicate with them like you know sometimes they don't allow you Mm. to have that kind of um you know you don't have maybe you don't have that relationship like for example if there's somebody who 
perhaps they've even been in foster care in for periods of time during their yeah. childhood. So they like, you know, been separated away from their parents for whatever reason. And then, um, you know, as they grow older and they start to have their own family um, and then they, you know, they're trying to go through this process of obviously raising their own children, but then they still, they ha still have a relationship with their parents, but it's fractured. How, how do you kind of go about advising, um, you know, that, that adult child um, to basically have this communication with their parents so they don't kind of replicate the same mistakes or errors that their parent have, have done with them, with their own children. Right. So a lot of nurses that I work with, they all have similar uh, issues, but they're different. So meaning that they might come from a family background that is, okay, let's say we have a sister that comes from a family background that's whole, like their parents that didn't divorce or whatever, and um, they have siblings who grew up together, but she still feel like there's something missing or there's some difficulties within the family, but it's not mentioned, right? Because there's some families where um, the hard emotions or the difficult things are not mentioned. We just move on with our lives, right? We only spend time spend time being happy or going out and celebrate things but then there are the harder issues that are not really mentioned because maybe the parents are not uh, emotionally aware of the situation right so there are uh, I know the sisters who are come from this background there are also sisters that come from background like I mentioned uh, have a very a they don't have a very firm relationship with their parents. They're very uh, separated and neglected or mm -hmm. they find it real difficult to, you know, once they become parents of their own, they don't know how to do it. They're just surviving because they have not seen a, a model, a good model of how to do so. So how do I go about, um, you know, advising the sisters? Uh, first of all, um, a lot of them, when they have issues with their parents, we all have issues with the parents. We try to change our parents' mindset and change their ways. And that is, uh, if it, there's a tip that I would like to give is to stop going in that direction because that won't happen at all. It might happen later on, but as for now, the healing journey is for ourselves, mm -hmm. right? So a lot of times, yeah, on the surface, we might you know, say that we have issues with our parents, but deep down, it's a lot about finding who we are and finding our own voice. Because when we grow up, uh, when we grow up, we are so used to listening to other people's inner voices. We are so used to listening what our parents would do in the situation, um, rather than putting yourself in that place and asking yourself, what do you really want to do? In fact, a lot of people have come forward and told me that um, in terms of uh, their uh, studies, uh, marriage, life plans, a lot of times that they are not. Uh, they're not confident about voicing out their opinions because their parents have uh, mentioned that, you know, uh, it's important that you follow our ways because we are your parents. So a lot of people um, find it difficult to, you know, disagree because disagreement does not mean that you disrespect, yes. right? You can disagree. Yeah, you can disagree kindly. And that's what most of people are doing. And, but the, things, the thing is, uh, some parents might have difficulty understanding why uh, their children might have different point of view because like, they, they see their children as you know, the younger version of them, like a part of them, like not a, a different identity of uh, or a person as a whole by themselves. So they find it difficult to disagree and they want their children uh, to follow their ways. And sometimes that, that's the barrier. A lot of children don't want to follow that ways, but they don't know how to mention and communicate their, their boundaries. Yeah, so uh, uh, it's a lot about 
um, finding yourself first and asking what you really want. And then we go about uh, uh, a plan. Like, okay, if this is something that you have to let your parents know, then how are you going to go about doing it? Because over time, when you leave, you have to own your family, you're going to have to decide for your family, not of your course, parents. Of course. Yeah, so it's about building that confidence. Yeah, confidence. And I think a lot of sisters struggle with that because um, they have fears. They have fears. And we fear that we are not allowed to be ourselves and express our emotions. We are afraid of you know, people's reaction and how they'll react to our um, decisions or our way of life and uh, our way of doing things. Yeah. Subhanallah. It's quite, it's quite a deep topic, actually. I, I wanted yeah. to ask you, actually, um, yeah, definitely. like since you've been coaching and um, talking with other sisters, you know, about this, you know, obviously their journeys and their struggles and stuff, have you seen any kind of commonalities um, or crossovers with regards to, um, you know, how people kind of, um, you know, experience trauma? So, like, for example, what I'm trying to say is, is it something is it like when people have felt certain ways for example you mentioned neglected during their childhood is there kind of commonalities in personality types um between like the sisters that you've like been kind of coaching in the aspect or for example um you know sometimes people in psychology talk about um middle child syndrome so for example if somebody's like yeah. the, um, the middle child is usually the one that often gets neglected from you know by the parents so do you, have, mm -hmm. you, have you noticed any commonalities like that? Or for you, is, is, has it just been something that, you know, it could be, you know, regard, irregardless of where, whether the person is the first or the second or third or, you know, does it matter, do you think? Okay, about that. Um, I think it, uh, a lot of sisters that I work with, uh, it doesn't really matter, but I know they have this similar trait, which is uh, parent-pleasing and then they end up people-pleasing. So this is uh, regardless of, uh, yeah, regardless of, I think, whether they are the middle child or the first child. But I do know, I, this is what I've seen personally. I'm not sure about, you know, other people that um, have worked in other areas, but this is something that I have seen a pattern. That usually the first child would tend to uh, please their parents more than the other children. I'm a I'm a middle child and I mm -hmm. tend to do things my own way mm -hmm. so I can I'm kind of a rebel yeah the middle child syndrome and I get that way people say that the middle child tends to get neglected because it seems like they are so focused on themselves they are so like they know what they want to do right and um I hear a lot as well that the first child uh the first child is usually the one that uh please the parents more than the other children yeah, and uh, a lot for them, a lot, uh, a lot of times for them, they find it difficult to break away from that patterns of um, parent pleasing or people pleasing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, why this happens? Because usually when, you know, when they have siblings, the first child, the parents would tend to rely on the first child to care for the other siblings. Yes. So uh, it's not in all households, but yeah, that's more common. This is something mm -hmm. that I've seen generally. So it's not really stereotypical, but generally, this is what I've uh, observed, yeah. that the, the first child, because you're the eldest, you're the oldest, so I, um, I, I rely on your independence to also care for the other siblings. But there, there are different households where they are being forced to do it, or you know, maybe the parents are, are you know, they don't have much help. So sometimes they rely too, 
too much on the first child and maybe that child at that time they're not they're not able to express how this is uh, too much pressure on them too stressful for their age to help the parents with their own siblings right so they grow up not being able to tell people what their needs are so they grow up to become people who just please please their way through life please other people but they know deep down inside they don't want to do it Mm-hmm. Right, they find there's a lot of contradictory in them that I I'm used to you know saying yes to people, so it's hard to say no, and a lot of them have uh, difficulty telling no to their own parents. Yeah, so over time, as you grow older, you realize that you are not in charge of your parents' feelings because maybe when you were younger, you you think that if I do a certain way, if I keep quiet or if I don't you know express my emotions, my parents will. Uh, I'm an obedient child. My parents will love me. My parents will you know um, give way to me. But over time, as you grow older, you become an adult. No matter what you do, you realize that people are by themselves their emotions you are not in charge of the emotions yes when you do things you can be um when we do things and actions that can uh, um, make someone feel upset but other than that you are not in charge of controlling their anger you're not in charge of making them um uh not upset anymore i think there's a lot of uh, misconception here you can do it as best as you can to please your parents be a good child and honor them and, and, and be you know, excellent with them, be kind. But there are times where you have to realize that uh, there are things that you do, the actions, the decisions you make, your parents might be upset with you. And that is on them. Because there are things that when you disagree, it's natural for people to feel upset or you know, feel angry or whatnot. But you cannot, can no longer help them not be angry or, or appease their anger. Because that would mean that you have to, what they call uh, self-abandon, right? Abandon yourself, abandon your values, your principles, uh, your choice, maybe your decisions. And once you get married, you have to do things, uh, you know, like what you and your husband has uh, planned things out. And then if that upsets your parents, then it will be on them to regulate their own emotions. It will be on them to, you know, um, find out, like be, be on their own to, uh, Meaning, like, realize that, okay, this is my child and my child has her own family now. So you cannot, your whole life, it'll be so difficult to please your parents. So a lot of sisters have difficulty breaking away from that habit, breaking away from that pattern of pleasing. Yes, subhanAllah. So yeah, definitely, I think, definitely agree. I see that a lot. And um, I think even, you know, even from my own personal experience, you do see that. And it's it's something, one of the difficult things, I think, especially being a Muslim, when you know that you have to honour and respect your parents. And, you know, it's it's like, it's a fine line because a lot of people, I think, do get abused um, emotionally from their parents, whether intentionally or not. I'm not saying that parents are intentionally doing this, but it's, it's like the like you said this it can be a cycle that those parents themselves have experienced um certain That's right. in their childhood from their That's parents right. that they haven't been able to move on past or overcome and basically maybe reflect and even try to um you know make sure they don't repeat the same pattern so um you know then later on you know in our generation now it's for us to you know be conscious enough to make sure that we don't like you know we break the cycle basically um, so it doesn't you know affect our yeah. families in 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 a negative in a negative way subhanallah yeah mashallah. can i add on to this yes of course yes 
Yeah. So uh, the part where you mentioned where uh, uh, where the the trauma comes you know, in our generation, when we feel this trauma within our family, I would like to add that. In fact, our parents themselves has this kind of trauma. That's why there is this term called generational trauma is passed down, right? If you realize that our parents come from a generation where they are, you know, being mute or you know, voiceless, meaning that you don't express your opinions and whatnot, you're considered an obedient child. So most of the time, uh, you know, most of the time, our parents themselves are not used to expressing their emotions. Yeah. So if you realize that you have difficulty opening up to your parents, then you realize that they themselves are not comfortable with sadness. They, they themselves are not comfortable with anger and all these things. So you realize that sometimes when you open up to them as a teenager or as a young child, they are not able to help regulate your emotions because they themselves are not comfortable with their emotions. They themselves have that trauma. Right? So right now, when you're in a position where you can heal and when you're aware of this, you want to make changes. Alhamdulillah. And the thing is, sometimes when we uh, uh, make changes for ourselves, uh, our parents will start you know, observing us and start to see that, okay, why is this okay? Why is that not okay? Right? And then you learn. Uh, and then our parents will become more influenced. or They'll learn from you, inshallah. So I think a lot of uh, people right now have uh, difficulty... Uh, being able to, you know, they want the support from the parents. But the thing right now is your parents themselves have uh, unhealed wounds within themselves because they don't know how to go about with this. So sometimes you go through your own healing and you learn from you. And that's what happened to me. Alhamdulillah, that's what happened to me. Yeah, with my own uh, parents, they see that, okay, now I've learned and I've learned to express my emotions. Uh, I sort of you know, teach them or like sort of explain to them, you know, I know you had a hard time growing up last time and I know that uh, the issues that you're facing, the stress that you go through, it's as a result of you not being able to express your emotions. So now that I, what I know now, I'm passing on that knowledge to my parents and alhamdulillah, now they are on their own journey. Subhanallah. Alhamdulillah. Yeah, it's like a full circle. Alhamdulillah. Yeah. Alhamdulillah. That's really beautiful. That's really beautiful, mashallah. Mm. And it's nice that they can be open to, you know, kind of accept that as well. Mm -hmm. I think people get to stages in their life when they, you know, maybe like if, I mean, obviously it's by Allah's will, obviously, and his, uh, his blessing so that they get to a point where, you know, you have to be the example, isn't it? You can be an example to those older yeah, than you as well as to those younger than you. So sometimes, yeah, it does really help that, um, you know, some parents, they become conscious of those things and they try to also improve themselves. It's really good. Yeah, yeah, right. That's subhanAllah. Mashallah. Oh. Oh, it's really beautiful um, work that you're doing. So do you find that you're um, mostly working with Muslims or do you have also non-Muslim clients? Alhamdulillah. Oh, I'm mostly working with Muslim sisters. And um, a lot of time they mentioned that they are happy to work with a Muslim sister who has uh, knowledge in the field of family trauma because a lot of time people go out for you know, therapy sessions or counsel sessions and uh, sometimes they don't have a choice whether it's a Muslim or not, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes Muslims get you know, fully booked as well. Yeah, so a lot of them come to uh, uh, come to me and and they say that they're so happy that there's someone who knows about family trauma and is a Muslim because you know I weave the deen inside um, about qadr and understanding about you know being good to your parents. A lot of the knowledge is being weaved in the sessions as well. So um, I have I do have non-Muslim audience and my uh, and my followers. Um, they, they have, you know, introduced themselves, but generally, uh, much more, uh, the majority are Muslim, alhamdulillah.
Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Yeah. Mashallah. Where can people get in contact with you? For, um, you know, to, okay. if they want to be coached or if they need any kind of advice, where are you, um, you know, what's your presence like? Where, where, where can they get in touch with you? Yeah. I'm mostly on Instagram and you can just send me on a DM. It's at Hilt Upbringing. Uh, I'm mostly on there. I'm focusing a lot. And my audience is mostly on uh, Instagram and I do have a podcast and it's also on my Instagram that you can find okay. out there. So okay. anytime, yeah, you need a coaching, you can just DM me, inshallah. Okay, inshallah. Barakallah. I think inshallah will put the links um, to that in the description, yeah. inshallah. Okay, so um, continuing, uh, continue our, continuing our topic about the naqab, um, do you feel um, that sisters who wear the naqab get treated differently from sisters who wear the hijab? Uh, I guess it depends on where it is, mm -hmm. but um, I'm not really sure, but I do know that, you know, uh, the more you practice Islam, the more you follow, like, uh, the teachings of Islam, sometimes a lot of people get abused or when they see, because it's foreign to them. Uh, but let's say if you're in Saudi or in Muslim countries, it's not foreign. So I guess that is what is celebrated. But in other countries, maybe in circular places, like in, in my own country, I guess that I've heard friends who have been not abused, but maybe, you know, people stare at them or get they get Un uncomfortable so I guess it's a mix of a bit of both in depending on the places that we live what would you advise sisters who um, are looking to wear the naqab but they don't feel confidence in um, like wearing the naqab well, I would say that you find someone who has gone through that journey too because I think that uh, this is part of psychology as well and it's how Allah has created us like you want to find someone who is on the same journey as you or someone who has been there because you know if you do it on your own yes of course you do it on your own but then you want to find people that can support you or find people that remind you why you do this for the sake of Allah why like it could it might not be you know sisters like uh, physically around the circle it might be sisters on uh, Instagram or someone you you, you know online or you go to the masjid and find you know sisters who are going through the same journey because having someone as support is so important support system because then sometimes when you have that pressure we just want someone to talk to other than Allah we just want you know a human being that we can you know ask in questions like oh, how do I go about this issue and having the support system is so important so I encourage sisters who you know want to go on this journey find someone that can it is support you find someone that can remind you of why you done it in the first place inshallah inshallah mashallah and finally sister what does the naqab mean to you hmm. oh naqab is uh naqab is everything to me i uh, in my opinion naqab is my identity alhamdulillah like uh, i know this a lot of people see it as a contradiction like if it's your identity why can i not see your face but for me this is who i am and this is how i want to be known as someone who is uh, modestly covered and someone who does it for the sake of allah and i know that sisters who wear the naqab they are a represent they, they represent islam they represent uh the deen and in that case like when you know you see someone wearing the hijab and naqab you see you know that okay this is a muslim sister and i i, I like that it's some form of da'wah like people know that okay mashallah that is uh, such things in islam and i like i said like when i first know about the naqab it's through a movie i have not seen it elsewhere so i guess that when i you know walk on the streets or go to shops with my husband and the people look at me and i'm like alhamdulillah this is so my i end up to know that that is 
people wearing the naqab, even in, in a secular country, it's not just, you know, Saudi Arabia or Egypt or any Muslim country, they think that it's just purely culture. Yes. But it's also for people who, yeah, who want to be closer to Allah, who want to, you know, uh, understand more and follow the, the wives of the Prophet sallallahu So it's not, it's not a, a barrier to other Muslim sisters who are not wearing the niqab as well. I, it's, it's more of a welcome. Like if, if I'm a, a sister who have seen other sisters who are not wearing the niqab, I would love to talk to them and welcome them in this journey because I think a sister to wear hijab and sister to wear hijab and niqab, uh, sometimes they feel as a barrier, like, oh, I feel like you're more pious than me. I'm not, I cannot be there like you. Uh, it's not that way. In fact, everyone is struggling in their own journey. And I hope that, you know, if you can be someone that influences or, you know, encourages someone else to go on this journey to be closer to Allah, then do so, inshallah. And you, you'll get the reward as well from Allah. And, and, you know, it's always important to bring happiness to another Muslim. So I'm so happy. I'll be happy to, you know, answer any questions if sisters want to do on the naqab inshallah 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 barakallah yeah. thank you so much for joining yeah. us today and i'm sure the sisters inshallah will yeah. have and listening to you yeah alhamdulillah thank you so much sister jazakallah khairan assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh wa alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh